You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right. Good morning, family. Uh, My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. If we have not met yet, uh, I'm going to kind of start us off uh, a little bit different. It's not my normal way to start off a sermon, but uh, how many of you have heard of the band Alabama Shakes? Anybody? Yeah, Uh, I I like them. I, I don't listen to a lot of music, but there's something about emotive music that just kind of resonates. It, it, it drives me. So the first song I heard of theirs is called uh, Hold On. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I do want to read the lyrics. Yeah, it would be bad. Um, but the lyrics are, they start off, bless my heart, bless my soul. Didn't think I'd make it to 22 years old. There must be someone up above saying, come on, Brittany, you got to come on up. And then it goes into the chorus, and it's, you got to hold, you see, just like, hold on. And then goes back again, you got to hold on. And there, you know, if you hadn't heard them, uh, she has this really uh, deep voice, lots deeper than my own voice. I'm not embarrassed, it's fine. Uh, but, but when she's just belting it out, there's something that just resonates with me. And the whole reason I bring it up is because I think this is the theme of our our passage today. This this is kind of what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and this is what I want us to be encouraged by. We, church family, we got to just hold on. We got to hold on, And, and here's why. The reality is following Jesus can be difficult at times. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy, he describes following Jesus as toiling and striving training and disciplining ourselves for godliness. It's not a, a, we're not trying to work to earn God's favor, but when we have God's favor, when we're in right relationship with God, to follow in the way of Jesus requires work and effort. Uh, If you remember back to Philippians chapter 2, Paul is describing or or telling, encouraging the church, we should have the same mind, the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who emptied himself, who became a servant, humbled himself to the point of obedience, uh, obedience to to death, death on a cross. We are called to, to follow in that way, emptying ourselves, humbling ourselves, becoming a servant, and the way of Jesus is not always easy. And so, so my plea <laughs> and what we're going to talk about is we got to hold on. We got to keep at it. We cannot give up. We must be steadfast and persevere. So uh, maybe even to start this morning, uh, where are you in following Jesus? Are you currently uh, moving in the right direction? Are you experiencing victory over sin? Are you currently able to see and rejoice in what God is doing in you and around you? If that's where you're at, that's awesome. Keep holding on. Keep on keeping on. I would say maybe some of uh, the others in the room, you might be saying, uh, uh, or you might be, the questions might apply better. Are you tired? Are you worn down? 
Are you discouraged? Have you contemplated giving up? Have you gotten sidetracked? And I don't really care where we're coming from. The goal, family, is we got to hold on. We have to persevere. We have to be steadfast. We have to to keep going. So as we look at our text today, my goal is uh, to ask four questions of us. It'll be a a self-assessment, but in assessing ourselves, uh, as we ask these questions, they should also prompt us and move us towards perseverance, steadfastness, and holding on. So let me pray for us as we get rolling today. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your goodness and grace and your affection to us. God, that you love us, not because we deserve it or we've earned it, but it's your grace, a gift to us. that You have welcomed us into your family at a cost to yourself. God, we pray as we, as a family, gather this morning and that you would pierce our hearts with the truth of who you are and your grace and goodness to us. God, that we would walk out encouraged to follow hard after you. And God, we confess that sometimes it's really difficult. And sometimes it's really frustrating. And sometimes we want to give up. So we ask that you would keep us, hold us tight, and help us as we journey after you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you pick up in verse 12, so we're... Uh, If you haven't been around, we're in the study of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. And this is kind of what what Paul starts off with. This is what he writes. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The word perfect there could be also translated as complete or uh, not that I have uh, reached the end of the journey. So not that I have already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on. The word press on means to run after, to seek eagerly, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. As we mentioned last week, uh, Paul believes, he is convinced and convicted that knowing Jesus is better than anything else. So much so he's willing to, to forsake his former life He's willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's like the parable that Jesus taught uh, of the man who sold everything to purchase the pearl of great price. He treasures Jesus above all. But he, in this next passage, or, or what we just read, he kind of makes this confession. This is my desire. This is my goal, but I'm not there yet. I have not completed the journey. I have not arrived Spurgeon, when he was preaching on this passage, uh, reflecting on Paul, he says that he has not won the race yet, but his joy arises from the fact that he is in the right course and that he's running in the right direction. He's persevering. He's moving forward. Uh, let me give you a different translation because I want to show you something that I think is pretty cool in the text. So this is a, a New American Standard Version. It'll be up there for you. Uh, But it says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So the reason I I put it up there, because you can see it a little bit better, but uh, the word obtained, the word lay hold and laid hold, they're all the same word. Uh, So the the Greek word is katalimbano, uh, and, and it can be translated uh, to, to catch, 
uh, like in hunting, when you, tra- you catch or trap an animal. Uh, it can be to apprehend like uh, a criminal, like a, a police apprehend a criminal. It can mean to, to seize, to lay hold of. And so let me just, let me give you these words all, all summed up. Let me give you some, a, a different way you can read this verse. One way you could read it is, I have not caught it, but I'm pressing on to catch it because Jesus has caught me. I have not apprehended it, but I am pressing on to apprehend it because Jesus has apprehended me. I have not seized it, but I am pressing on to seize it because Jesus has seized me. I have not laid hold of it, but I am pressing on to lay hold of it because Jesus has laid hold of me. Jesus has caught or apprehended or seized or laid hold of me. This is the whole key to the passage. This is it. We have been saved by Jesus. We have been rescued from the power of sin and death. We've been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, not because we deserved it, not because we've earned it, because his grace for us, Jesus has caught us. He has apprehended us. So this this whole idea of pressing on, this whole idea of not giving up, It's rooted in the fact that Jesus did not give up in apprehending us. And we call that gospel motivation. We act, we react, not based on our circumstances, not based off of the things around us, but based off of the person and work of Jesus. Jesus has obtained us. He pressed on to get and catch and apprehend us And so we as a family follow in the way of Jesus and we press on that we might catch it, that we might apprehend it, that we one day might arrive. That's the whole key as we press on towards Jesus. Verse 13, it says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. For, for many of us, uh, we're goal setters. Uh, it could be goals for your family, your career. Uh, it could be goals for school, whatever it is. The idea behind goals is we we decide what we want to do, we count the cost for it, and we are consistently making decisions. How can I achieve this goal? So I got a little story for you. If you're a life group leader, you've heard it. I'm sorry, I just think it applies, so I'm going to retell the story anyway. So our family, we ride bikes together. It's just something, honestly, I like to ride bikes, therefore my family likes to ride bikes, is kind of how that works. Uh, but we all like riding bikes. We like to venture into different places. Uh, this spring, uh, my wife and I decided we were going to check out a new spot off of Polo Road. They just built this new bike path up there. I don't know if you're familiar with Polo Road, uh, but we are very used to uh, riding at the river, and the river is pretty flat. Polo Road is the opposite of flat. And we just didn't really think about it too much till we got there. And so we're riding uh, up the hill, uh, just a little hill, and then we just descend. And everybody's loving it. We're, we're killing it. We're all going super fast. Uh, we know this. I think sometimes they know this, my kids, but sometimes we forget. Anytime you go down, you have to go back up, right? And so we, we make the dip, and we're heading back up. 
And you can just see it's a, it's a pretty long hill. And we're, we're grinding it and we're, we're moving. And all of a sudden, I just hear uh, whimpering. I hear crying. And so I was like, oh, oh, this ain't good. So uh, I pull over because my, my middle daughter, Sadie, she's seven at the time. Uh, she stops and she's just weeping. And I tell everybody else, y'all keep going. I'll get, get Sadie. Don't stop. Uh, it'll be harder for everybody if everybody stops. And so I just I look at Sadie and I'm like, Sadie, what's wrong? And she's like, Daddy, it's too hard. Like, I, I, I want to give up. I don't want to do this. My, my legs hurt. And I was like, baby, you're fine. I know it's tough, but we're not going to stop. We have to make it up to the top of the hill. And so she kind of sniffles a little bit and we get back on the bike and we push it up to the top and everybody, all the, the families up there and they're clapping. Yay, Sadie, you made it. And we're all excited. I tell them, y'all keep going. I actually need to talk with Sadie some more. And so we go to a little parking lot right offwards and we're riding around and I'll say, hey, Sadie, do you, do you remember when we first started riding bikes? What, what would happen every time I told you we were going to practice riding a bike? And she said, I would cry because I didn't know how to do it. And it's like, well, Sadie, what would happen if every time you cried, I let you stop? And she's like, I would never have learned to ride a bike. I said, Sadie, if every time you cry, we stop riding bikes, we no longer are a family that rides bikes together. Maybe even bigger, what happens is every time in your life things get hard and difficult, dad lets you give up. The reality is you wouldn't mature and you wouldn't move forward. And I just kind of saw this light bulb flip in my little seven-year-old when she realized that just because something's hard and difficult does not mean it isn't good and right. And so we kept riding and on the way back, we had to do the inverse of that hill And so I'm riding by Sadie, and I said, Sadie, you got this. You've already done it once. I know you can do it again. And it's like, here's the challenge. I want you to be king of the mountain. And that just means the first one up. I think you can do it. And you know what? She pedaled as hard with so much confidence, she beat the whole family up to the top of the mountain. And when we got there, she was just beaming and smiling because she had overcome and she had won. She worked hard. She pressed on towards the goal. And we celebrated. My point is not Sadie. My point is, this is what Paul is talking to us about. He's giving us a a pep talk. Don't give up. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But just because it's hard and difficult does not mean it's not good for you. We are a family, and this is the way we are a family together. So how does Paul teach us uh, to press on? The first part is he says that we have to forget what lies behind. First step in pressing on, we have to forget what lies behind. I'll give you some categories to think through this. Uh, to forget what lies behind is not wholesale amnesia. Uh, we, we know this because there's also a command in Scripture to remember So how do we forget whilst also remembering? Uh, The whole idea behind both of them, uh, to remember and to forget, is they are both active disciplines of the mind to help us keep pushing forward. So all the commands are remember God's goodness, 
Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's character. Remember what God has done because it's going to help you to run, to walk in confidence as you move forward, as we remember who God is. The idea uh, in contrast of forgetting is that we might forget anything that weighs us down, anything that prevents us from running full speed, anything that is a resistance to us following after Jesus. It's like uh, uh, the idea, if you've seen people train, they run with a parachute. They, they, they actually have uh, resistance training to help them run faster. But in a race, you take the parachute off so that you can go full speed. That's, that's the whole idea, is that we want to let go of our baggage and we want to run with freedom. And so for some of us in the room, some of what we need to forget is some of our past failures, some of our past sin some of the shame that we have occurred over the years, some of the regrets that we might have. In order for us to run, we must forget. We must move past them. Others of you, uh, maybe what is holding you back is not past failure, but maybe past success. And you're looking and you're thinking about what you have accomplished and what you've already done in life. And, and there isn't more motivation to keep going. Uh, some of it, I, I think that the way you say it is resting on your laurels. And so you're content with what you've already accomplished. And for, for you, you need to forget whether it's negative or positive. You need to forget whatever it is that's holding you back. We got to drop the baggage so that we can run forward. So here's our, our first question as we press on together. First question is, what do you need to forget? What is it that you need to forget what is it that you need to let go of? What is it that you need to move on from? What's holding you back? Uh, with these questions, I think they're good to, to think about now. I think they're great to wrestle with over the week. And I think they're really perfect design to bring up in life group and talk about all the things you've been thinking about. So continuing on in our effort to press on, Paul says that he's straining forward to what lies ahead. The idea of straining forward is to push yourself to the limit, to exert your body to the point of collapse. If you've ever watched a marathon race or any race for any length of time, there's, there's times when people cross the finish line that their body just collapses because they've given everything that they have towards this one goal. And that's this idea of straining uh, when exercising. Those who make the, uh, or lifting weights, uh, whatever it is, those who make the most strides are the ones who realize that your mind is stronger than your body. So your body will tell you, I'm too tired to continue on. And the discipline is letting your mind control your body, that I can move further uh, than I think I can. So I'll give you an example. Uh, it, bike riding, again, uh, it's just one of the things I like to do. Uh, but my parents have a, a house up in Hendersonville, and I've taken my road bike up there to ride in the mountains. And I just kind of term riding in the mountains, I call, I, I call it grit riding, uh, grit, kind of this idea of perseverance and, and not giving up. Because in Columbia, there are some hills but there are no mountains. And it's vastly different going up a mountain than it is going over a hill. Uh, and so the way I talk about it when I'm riding up a mountain is I kind of have to get in this zone. Like, uh, first of all, I have to control my breathing. So I feel very out of breath. So I'm trying to control my breathing so I can continue my exertion up the hill. But I'm also kind of have this mantra 
don't stop pedaling. (laughs) If you stop pedaling, you will not make it to the top. And I kind of get this blinder on and I'm looking forward and I've got a a very meditative breathing and I'm, I'm just thinking, don't stop. You cannot stop. Keep pedaling. And I try and get this cadence and I'm just working my way up the mountain. It's a It's a grit ride that requires my full thinking, energy, and effort in one direction. What would it mean if we took that same single-minded focus and approach to striving after Jesus? What if we strained forward and pressed on? What if we trained ourselves for godliness? What if we, what would it look like for you to strive to toll and discipline yourself like a grit ride? Godly grit, perseverance, not stopping, keep pedaling, keep moving. And so our, our second question is, are you running towards the prize? Are you running towards the prize? Are you striving in the right direction? Do you have godly grit and determination to keep going? And and maybe even add in that, if if not, then what needs to change and how are you going to change it? And when are you going to change it? Are you striving toward the prize? So Paul is encouraging us as we press on to forget what lies behind us, to strain towards the goal. And then he, he's going to encourage us to also uh, look up and learn. He's going to say, look at the examples around you. He's going to give us both a positive example and a negative example. So let's start with a positive example in verse 15. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have have in us. So back a few years ago, I was talking with a life group leader. Uh, if you don't know, that's, that's one of my major roles is uh, life groups and, and what we're doing in our groups and all that kind of stuff. So I was talking with, with somebody in their life group and they were just kind of frustrated with their life group. And they were telling me uh, one of their major frustrations was uh, they, they just had a lot of immaturity in their group. And she just really felt that they, that immaturity was holding her and the group back. And so basically that, that, the, the people's immaturity in her group was a negative impact on where the group was wanting to go. And so I was listening and I was talking with her about it. And my first instinct was to, to be a little sarcastic. And my first instinct was like, oh yeah, if everybody was just as mature as you, our whole church would be better. You know, like I wanted to kind of uh, mock her, but I didn't. I didn't. I had a good filter man in control at the time. And I I was thinking through as I was talking with her, and I realized I do sometimes agree with that statement. Like, and and so I just told her, you know what? I sometimes am tempted to believe the same thing. If everybody was mature, it would be easier. We could move faster. But I told her the problem with that is that's actually not how the Bible talks about walking in community. That's actually not what you need, and it's not what other people need. The reality is, 
God has called those who are mature to bear with the weak. God has called those who are mature to bring others along with them, to make disciples, to help people take the next step towards Jesus. God's design is that the mature, just like a family, the mature would guide, instruct, pull along the immature to help them grow. And here's the real reality. Here's what might even say the kicker is. What the mature need is actually the immature. What what the mature people need is actually the immature people. Because it's, it's hard to grow in patience if there aren't people who drive you nuts in your group. Right? Uh, if we're going to learn how to forgive one another, we need people around us who sin against us. If we're going to learn how to carry one another's burdens, you need people who bring a lot of baggage into your group. If we're going to learn to follow in the way of Jesus, we have to become servants to the people around us. And so there can be this attitude, this aspect of, I just need mature people to run with me. And God is saying, no, you need immature people to push you in ways that others can't. And so what, part of what Paul is saying is, follow the mature, imitate, watch them. Uh, the idea behind somebody who is mature is that they are closer to completion. They're further along in their journey to be like Jesus. And so I'll give you uh, three quick points uh, about what uh, maturity in Christ looks like. The first point is maturity is someone moving in the right direction. If you're following after someone you believe is mature, you need to make sure they're heading in the right direction, that they're striving towards Jesus, that they are growing and being conformed into his image, that that's the direction they're going and they've got life and experience in following after Jesus. And you can learn from them. You can watch them. You can imitate them. Second part of maturity is recognizing that you are not there yet. A mature person should have both humility, they have not arrived, and confidence, assurance that they are moving in the right direction. This is why Paul can say, with confidence and self-awareness, come follow me. I'm not there yet, but I'm moving in the right direction. And maturity is that humble confidence to call others to follow along with you, which is number three. Maturity is bringing others along with you in the journey. Maturity is helping other people grow in the likeness of Jesus. Maturity is discipling others, helping them to take the next step towards Jesus. And so our third question is, how can you help bring others along? As we're pressing on, in our journey, how can we bring others along? Maybe another way to ask that is, should people follow you? What might need to change in your life in order for you to say, come follow me as I follow Jesus? The next part of the the passage, Paul is going to uh, talk about a negative example of uh, Watch out for them. Look, look at these people. But it's a, it's a negative example as we're moving on, as we're pressing on. So verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So the negative example are those who walk as enemies of the cross. And what, do, what does that mean? The idea of enemies is those who are in opposition to, who actively fight against. And Paul gives us four categories that describe those who are enemies of the cross. And he says, first, instead of their end being eternal life with Jesus, their end will be destruction. So enemies of the cross, their end will be destruction. The Bible speaks of hell as a very real place, a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, darkness, burning, torments, and everlasting punishment. Another way to talk about hell is it's a place where God gives people what they want, autonomy and freedom from his goodness and his grace. Therefore, it's a place of destruction. Secondly, enemies of the cross, instead of worshiping and following Jesus, they make their appetites their God. The beginning of maturity is self-mastery, discipline to do the right things and self-control not to do the wrong things. Those who walk as enemies of the cross are controlled and mastered by their appetites and their desires. They don't experience the freedom that is found in Christ to say no to sin and its slavery. They aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit to live self-controlled, upright lives. In other words, they haven't eaten of the bread of life or drank from the fountain of living water. Therefore, they are craving more, and their God becomes their appetite. And this can take a lot of different ways. This could look like their appetite for comfort, driving them to be lazy or unmotivated. It could be an appetite to catch the next great experience leading to a life of, of wanderlust, traveling and experiencing the next big thing. Sometimes it takes the form of a romance idol and the pursuit to find a soulmate. Sometimes it is an appetite that leads to addiction like with sex or drugs or alcohol. It's this idea of being consumed by something that you think will satisfy you other than God. Next, he says, instead of rejoicing in the goodness of God, that enemies of the cross, they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. This means that they rejoice in the inverse of what is right and good. We did a whole series on the enemies that attack us. It was called the world, the flesh, and the devil. And kind of our whole tagline through that whole series was, our enemy, the devil, feeds us deceitful, desi deceitful ideas that play on our disordered desires that are normalized in sinful society. And, and, and the way we kind of broke that out is, it is really easily in our culture with the enemies to begin to value what is wrong rather than value what is right. And so this idea of enemies of the cross is they glory in their shame. They rejoice in the inverse of what is good. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, uh, they would uh, veg out on TV, social media, video games, and they'd call it self-care. And gossiping and slandering people in their life and calling it healthy venting. Maybe it's uh, exploiting employees and calling it business savvy. Being controlled by sexual desires and calling it sexual freedom. Aborting a baby and calling it women's health care or storming the Capitol and calling it patriotism. 
It's glory in their shame. It's the inverse of what is right. And enemies of the cross, they don't see clearly and they are celebrating and rejoicing in what they should be ashamed of. Lastly, Paul says, instead of having an eternally uh, heavenly focus, they are only concerned with temporary earthly matters. We who are in Jesus, we have eternal hope. We have this desire for eternity, living with Jesus. And we realize that this earth is not our home. Like this isn't it. This is only temporary and all of this around us, all the good things that are around us, they're, they're imperfect. They're, they're merely a shadow for what is to come. And we have this longing this desire that we know one day will be fully satisfied when all is made right, when we're living in eternity with Jesus. And that knowledge of the eternal, it changes what we do on a daily basis. Enemies of the cross do not have a knowledge of the eternal. And so they're constantly finding ways to gain satisfaction in this world. We, as followers of Christ, with an eternal perspective, we have freedom. Freedom because we know what is to come. Um, the sober reality is this is what, what Paul's warning the church at Philippi with, with tears in his eyes. Hey, there, there are those around you who are doing it wrong. And I don't want you to be misled. I don't, I don't want you to follow their example because that road leads to destruction. I want you to follow the mature and those who are further down the line. And so our fourth question uh, may be to ask you as we press on, uh, what is distracting or sidetracking you from pressing on? What is currently distracting you? Are there areas in your life that need to be confessed? And what would repentance look like for you? Are you currently distracted? We'll wrap it up, starting in verse 20. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we, wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved." For those who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us on this journey, our citizenship is in heaven. We are destined for eternity. And, and we await his return. We eagerly want to hasten the coming back of Christ because we desire a place where there, we're free from sin, where there is no more disease, where all the, the tears are wiped away. We, we desire a place uh, where all the bad things become untrue. We desire that. We want that. We long for that. We look forward to that. But until then, we need to think of ourselves as citizens of heaven who function as a colony of heaven. So Philippi was a colony of Rome. And the idea behind a Roman colony was it's not just ownership by Rome, but a colony uh, was full of Roman people who were Roman citizens, and their whole goal was to bring Rome into a region. 
Their whole goal was to Romanize the, the place around them. And just like Philippi was set to be, uh, to Romanize, to bring Rome into Philippi, we as a colony, we as citizens of heaven are called to heavenize our city. And the way we've said that many times in the past is, as it is, uh, as it is in, Colum- uh, in Columbia, as it is in heaven. Uh, and our whole desire is that we would bring the rule and reign of Jesus here. And so that's what we're talking about, pressing on, because we have a goal, we have a mission. And so so what that looks like for us uh, to press on is we continue to abide in Jesus regularly and routinely in an effort to joyfully treasure him above everything else. We regularly and routinely confess and repent of our sins in our life group in an effort to earnestly grow in his likeness. We practice the one another's in our life group. We model the way of Jesus in an effort to bring others along with us. We cultivate rhythms and we build relationships with our neighbors in an effort to bring the hope of heaven to our city and the people around us. We press on. Or as Alabama Shakes says, we hold on. Because one day, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna make it all right. But until then, we press on. We have not attained it yet, but we press on because he has attained us.